Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I have the honor and privilege of being here in Studio A with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. Welcome. (laughs) No, welcome to you, sir. Welcome. Let's, Let's do it. Well, to all of you guys that are listening, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this week, we did get some emails, and so I want to give a, a quick shout-out to Kendra over in Washington, and then Yvonne, I guess she has a whole group. Uh, Kendra had an awesome testimony, and so we always appreciate hearing you guys' testimonies. So if you want to reach out, it's ryan at twopraise.net, ryan at twopraise.net. And then uh, Yvonne actually reached out for the Teshuvah Spiritual Journal uh, for her and her group, and so we actually got her a PDF copy of that today. Um, for them to print out at their leisure. So that might be an option if you guys have like a group and you guys are kind of spread out a little bit. She was mentioning that she had some folks that were up to four hours away from her, but they still like to, you know, get together occasionally and do things kind of remotely. So it was easier just to send it via PDF instead of the mail. So uh, you guys can send us your address and we'll ship it to you, or uh, you can send us your email via email and we'll get you... Um, a PDF copy of the Teshuvah Spiritual Journal, because Teshuvah is coming up, guys. Um, Elul 1, which is the first day of the month of Elul, which is the month before the fall feast. We take this time to get our hearts ready and turn towards the Lord in a way um, that just gets us, you know, prepped and, you know, I don't know, locked and cocked. That's probably a good way to way to put it. Locked and cocked and ready for the fall feast. And um, the, the way we do that uh, here at Beit Tehila is we do a 21-day fast from a little 1 to a little 21, starting on, I think that's going to be the 20th of August in the evening, all the way to the 10th of September in the evening. And so uh, if you guys want to do that with us in solidarity, send me an email. Let me know that you guys are going to do it. We, we can also send you our, um, our spiritual journal, like I mentioned before, that you know you can journal each day as you're fasting and praying. And, uh, and don't forget, the Daniel Fast is all about the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. So, this week we are studying the Torah portion, Shoftim, which means judges. This can be found in the book of Deuteronomy, starting in chapter 16 and verse 18, and ending in chapter 21 and verse 9. All right, so, <laughs> here we go. Um, we're going to start off with the legal system. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 22, um, we're not going to read it for time's sake today, but uh, there is uh, uh, some good information in here about the legal system. Um, it's The first question here, number one, is what two types of people will be found in all the gates of Israel? Judges and officers. That's right, judges and officers. And Mike Cromwell last night in our tour study was actually mentioning that officers here could also mean a couple of different things, um, but not the least of which could be like a clerk. 
more like a court reporter or the people that are recording the judgments and things that are going on, the cases that are being brought, the, you know, official events like weddings and, you know, uh, betrothals and deeds to homes and purchase agreements, you know, business dealings, things like that, that uh, somebody could go to the gate because the gate was, you know, essentially like city hall. So when you hear about the, the gates and things like that in the Torah and throughout scripture, the gates in any city was where you would find the officials of that city, judges, officers, like Lot. and so on forth. Exactly. Lot like was at the gate. He was at the gate. Of gate of what city, though? <laughs> the wrong city. The wrong... You know, that's a great way. The city that we shall not speak its name. The wrong Gamora? city. No, I think it was Sodom. Sodom. Yeah. It was Sodom. Um, all right, so we're going to read uh, chapter 16, verse 19. It says here, Thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. And again, that's Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 19. And um, boy, that's true today, man. We've got all kinds of examples all over the world, whether it be here in the United States um, or you know, even in Israel and in past prime ministers, and uh, there's even accusations against Benjamin Netanyahu in this regard about taking gifts and bribes. Um, there's, uh, but this, you know, there's dictators and, and military leaders all over the world, and they break this commandment um, because it just seems to be something that people can't seem to get away from. You know, at some point you've been in office long enough, you start to feel entitled to the power that you have, and they start taking um, gifts and bribes, which perverts their judgment. So the so here's the question for discussion. What's the, the question? <laughs> Why are some of the governments in the world today favoring certain people and taking gifts? Well, it's bribes. It's greed. You know, it's interesting. In number 16, uh, it says right here, in Numbers 16, 15, um, Moses is defending himself. He says uh, right here, and Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, neither have I hurt one of them. Mm. So basically what he's saying is that, you know, I've not taken any bribes. Yeah. You know, uh, I stand alone. Here I am. So, like I said, you know, uh, I think in regards to a lot of governments, even over in the Middle East or over in the other countries, you could base a whole government on an ethnic group. You could just stick to one ethnic group and just give to that. We see that among the Shiites and the Sunnis. Yeah. They, you know, you don't see Shiites and Sunnis working side by side. No, like Saudi Arabia would be like a large Sunni country. Right. Iran being a large Shiite country. And, oh, go ahead, figure. They don't like each other. Well, it's interesting that ISIS came from the Sunnis. Which nobody expected because the Shiites were supposedly the right. historically radical. radical ones. Right. So anyway, yeah. So once again, uh, we see a lot of this going on. Um totalitarianism and all that other stuff, but um, quite a few countries. North Korea, you know, there's just one leader. Right. Um, so Russia, imagine, imagine the gifts much, and bribes he takes, you know? You know, Russia's pretty much, you know, run by one person. Um, China has a communist party that sticks together. But, oh, yeah, the Chinese communist but, uh, party, that's right. Yeah, so anyway, there's, uh, there's a lot of, lot of reasons for that, uh, and, and a lot of them get found out and end up doing... There's been some government officials in, in Israel... Uh, prime ministers, presidents that were uh, guilty of that. 
and went to jail. Bribes. Yeah. yeah. Bribes. Absolutely. I mean, I, you hit the nail on the head, I think, right at first. I put the I put greed. Um, I think ultimately what happens when people get into power, they forget that they're there at, you know, the... To, well, first off, to serve God, right? Any leader that's put into their position, uh, the Bible has made it very clear that they're in their, their position and they have the authority that they have at the will of God, right? So whether they're, you know, you know, democratically elected or they're, you know, royalty and they're a king or queen or, you know, some other appointed position, um, they have the authority that they have because that authority was allowed by God himself. Um, you know, nothing, you know, has slipped through the cracks, so to speak. And so when people don't first understand that and then understand, excuse me, that their mandate is to serve God and then also to be a servant of the people, no matter how they ended up in their position and what authority it is that they, you know, perceive themselves to have, that they begin to feel entitled. They forget, um, they get, you know, puffed up with pride. They forget that they've, you know, been given a gift and that gift also bears a lot of responsibility and their greed and their pride allow them to make poor decisions. They, they start to feel entitled to their position and to the power that it comes with, and they start misusing it for self-gain, um, and, and ultimately it's a, a recipe for disaster. Did you have something? No. I mean, that, it's just self-explanatory what we're seeing today, you know, yeah. even among the lobbyists or any government, you know. So we're seeing um, poor governing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're seeing, you know, poor decision-making. And, you know, here in the United States, um, we're in a situation now where we have so much trouble, you know, knowing what is the real story behind anything because, um, you know, every every news outlet, whether it, you know, be supposedly neutral or, you know, conservative or liberal, whatever side they're on, you know, there's, you know, no lack of examples of, you know, skewed political um, news stories in one direction or the other. So when one says something about somebody, the other one comes out and says, no, that's not true. And here's why. So you, then you have a struggle of figuring out, well, how do we even make a decision as to whether or not this is a good person or not, or a bad person, or was this a good decision or a bad decision? Because everything is painted with some sort of a partisan, uh, lens or partisan colors. So this isn't uh, a good idea or a bad idea. This is a Republican idea or a Democrat idea. I mean, it's a good point because just like even in our church, we have a board, we have leadership, and uh, we have to get at least three bids for any job. Mm. And there yeah. can't be no conflict of interest. Right. But we've had that happen in the past where somebody wanted to do a job for the church, and I didn't give them the bid. I didn't allow them to, and they left the church. Yeah. Because I just felt like their motives were wrong. You know, a lot of times people go into a church for network marketing or different things like that. That's why, you know, we don't advertise a lot of people's businesses and stuff in the foyer or whatever. Because... It gets taken advantage of. It sure know? does. So by word of mouth or whatever, you know, you can create your own business and word of mouth. You can, you know, talk to people or whatever. But yeah, you got to watch out for that stuff. It'll come back and bite you. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree with that a hundred percent. And if and I'll tell you this, if you're if you're at church <laughs> for business networking, um, and that is the main purpose that you're there, you're there for the wrong reason. It doesn't mean that that can't be your community with which you network, because I think Christians should do business with each other and should support each other. Um, but it, we definitely have to look at the motives of our heart and realize, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and, and what we're actually doing. So, all right, moving right along, we're going to jump into Deuteronomy chapter 17 on the topic of idolatry. But what happens is we have, of course, and I'll just read this verse, uh, Deuteronomy 17, one, thou shalt not sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, any bullock or sheep wherein is blemish or any, uh, evil favoredness. 
for that is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. I would title this not giving your best. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, basically, you know, even when you go into Malachi, Malachi chapter 1, um, basically verses 7 and 8, this says this, um, Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Right? Right here. Then it goes on to say, Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept the, thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? I mean, like you would give this, you know, to me, but you, would, you, know, you wouldn't give that to a governor. Yeah, that's right. So we should hold God in high esteem, uh, more so than a governor of the land. But it just goes to show, you know, this, is whole, this whole topic here, this subject is actually dealing with, you know, give God your best. And this isn't You're a living to... sacrifice in Romans, it talks about this. But we have to give our best. We Absolutely. have to say, Lord, I'm going to give you my best and do our best. And it really makes everything better. Absolutely. You know, and it's not tough to figure out, right? I mean, I, I personally have um, had sheep in the past and we're raising goats at the moment. And uh, you, can, you can tell which ones would be the ones that somebody would want and the ones that somebody probably wouldn't want. And, um, you know, the test on that is, you know, when somebody shows up, because, you know, somebody comes to buy some sheep or some goats from us and they show up, I know which ones they're looking for, right? I know which ones they're going to be like, oh, I want this one and I want this one. And they're going to see other ones and they're going to be like, eh, nah. And so the question is, when we give an offering to the Lord, are we giving him the, the better one? Or are we giving him the one that eh, nobody wants, you know, and that, oh, this is easy for me to give up. And I think that's the point. Is it a sacrifice, really? Is it truly a sacrifice? Or is it, you know, hey, I didn't want that anyways. It goes back to Cain and Abel. Yeah, right. It's, it's really kind of like this heart issue. You know, another aspect of that in, in regards to the last days, uh, in the process of time, it says that Cain brought his offering, meaning that he, he stalled, he dragged his feet. He wasn't really on time. Yeah. He procrastinated the gift. You, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Cain and Abel. I've been, uh, I saw a video, Joshua Waller and uh, Ari Bramowitz on the 9th of Av, which was, you know, just well, probably, what, a couple weeks ago now, uh, were on the Temple Mount, and he was doing a live video. Did you see it? No. Okay. So uh, I had never heard this, but uh, according to uh, um, Jewish tradition, it's, it's written somewhere uh, in their writings, that Cain stayed there for three days shaking Abel, like, wake up, wake up, because he'd never seen death, right? So he acted out of anger, right, and killed his brother, but didn't, but he'd never seen death. So he's like, wake up, wake up, I'm so sorry. You know, he's apologizing to his brother, and I was like, man. It's too late. It's too late, exactly right. Um, but that was a, a, a profound thought, because, you know, you, you, I've always wondered in that, Brett's. I've always wondered in that story, you know, why did God not put more of a heavy punishment on Cain? Why did God... That's a good uh, question. Right. Why did God let him go and then also even put a protection around him, right? Remember he said that, you know, anybody, you know, hurts Cain, um, you know, that they'll be, you know, cursed or punished or whatever. Uh, But so I'd never thought of it like that, that he had never seen death. This was the first time this has ever happened. Um, And literally murder was brought into the world by him through anger. So when Yeshua says that if you've harbored anger in your heart for your brother, you've already committed the he murder. raised the bar for Torah, didn't he? Right. Well, but think about it. I mean, that's essentially what Cain did, is he had hatred in his heart for his brother, and the murder was the, um, the result, so to speak. So 
All right, so moving right along, what was the punishment for idolatry in stone uh, to death? That's right. The, that's capital punishment. Yep, and and remember, we want to look at the principles of these things. If you think about it, um, when somebody gets stoned to death for something, that that seems to be something uh, that God holds in high regard, right? Like breaking the Sabbath, right? Every week, right? That's. But if you don't keep the feast, you're excommunicated. You're put outside the camp. <laughs> right. <laughs> so which one should you probably do? Uh, both. Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't want to be put outside Imagine the camp that, or stoned. Wow. But you can Sabbath see that there's important. a hierarchy there. Um, and so two or three witnesses were required to put someone to death. Uh, this is obviously a good thing um, because not only do we not want someone to just be able to falsely accuse somebody and there to be protection there, but there has to be multiple witnesses to it. And then to, to make the stakes even higher... The witnesses were responsible for throwing the first stone at the guilty party. So it wasn't like you could just accuse somebody. When you witness something, you are now party to the judicial system. And when you bring that accusation to the court, you know that you're going to have to be, you know, the and one. And what did Yeshua do with the woman caught in adultery? He used this as a lesson. Let him without sin throw the first stone. Yeah. A lot of people dropped their stones. Yeah, they were dropping them. So, um, and then it says here that uh, in verse 9 that the difficult matters that required judgment were taken to the priests, Levites, and the judge. And so the idea there again is to, um, you know, allow for some way for people to escalate issues. Uh, if you go to Matthew 18, it talks about a system for handling, um, you know, disputes with other believers. Uh, you bring it to them in private, you try to settle it, you know, one on one. If you can't do it, you bring somebody else into it. If not, you bring it to the board uh, or to the elders and so on and so forth. Then you make it public uh, from there. But there's a process of accountability and safety built into the Torah and into uh, the New Testament and the Gospels That's right, because well. we have judges and officers. Now we have priests, Levites, of course, and the judge. Yep. And now we're moving into a, another uh, position. That's right. And so what was the title given to the person that would rule over all of Israel? King. Man. So, so this is interesting because for a long time they didn't have a king. And then, you know, as the story goes, that they were begging Samuel to allow them to have a king. And this is actually before the fact. And this is before that. Of course, the prophecies talk about there's a king. Well, we knew there was always going to be a king. There was going to be a king, and it alluded to his scepter, you know. He would come through Judah. Right. Right? That's right. Monarchy. And so the king was not allowed to multiply horses and wives. Can you think of any examples of any kings of Israel that multiplied horses well, and wives? Solomon didn't read that part. Or maybe he he just left it out when he wrote his copy. He wasn't copy. really thinking about it. Yeah, I don't He think. multiplied horses and wives. He sure did. I mean, he multiplied chariots as well. And gold and silver and diamonds and houses and concubines and... I mean, you name it. He was into multiplication, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, the first commandment in the Bible, go and multiply. Yeah, he was serious about that one. Yeah, let's go back to Genesis. Mm. Well, it's interesting because as we're talking about kind of being above reproach and how government officials were not to take bribes and things like that, that you know, here the king was not to multiply resources for just himself, that he was supposed to be ruling over Israel for the benefit of Israel, right. not to the detriment of himself, but that he wasn't to be you know, going out of his way to you know, seek unjust gain for himself. And so 
Um, you know, one of the, my favorite commandments in all of the Torah is the fact that the king was to write a copy of the law and have it read uh, at all times. And so he would also, when he would be coronated, he would read this aloud to the people as part of it. So part of the preparation for the coronation is to write this, this Torah scroll and to learn, you know, the law of God. And, and then even to take that one step further and to read it out loud to all the people. And so what this does is it makes him an expert on the law, you know, and, and it makes it so that he can actually give the judgment of the Lord to the people. And so uh, we do find, um, you know, I've read this before, but in uh, Psalm, eight, or Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, verses like 7 through 11, it talks about, um, you know, David is, is talking about how the law of the Lord is perfect, you know, converting the soul and so on and so forth. And this is just an awesome passage because this is from somebody who is the king of the United Kingdom of Israel, who knows the Torah inside and out, has written an entire Torah scroll himself, read it aloud to the people, and has studied it in order to make judgments on behalf of the Torah and on behalf of God, and is talking about how awesome it is. Um, and so if that tells you anything about whether or not we should be focused on the Torah, I think... That's why the uh, Parliament in Israel, they're so secular. There's no Torah. That's right. It's the right. Prime Minister doesn't have to keep the Torah in his government. Well, think about it. I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if, if this was a tradition that picked up by maybe the United States, that the president would have to read the Constitution aloud, write his own copy, and then read it aloud at his inauguration? I'm telling you. I mean, at least we would know that they would know it. <laughs> they at least read it, you know, one one time before they got into office and trample all over it, you know what I mean? Which it seems like all the administrations in my lifetime seem to have done at some point. But, uh, and that doesn't matter whether they're on one side or the other. Nope. I don't think. So, um, all right, we're moving right along. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The priests and the Levites share. Um, was the Levites' inheritance the Lord? Yes. Wow, what a, what a consolation prize for them, huh? You know, you say that, uh, and it almost sounds like a little... little well, because I could just see them like, well, look, everybody's getting this and that, and, you know, we're, we're, all the inheritance, we're the inheritors of the Lord, that's our, that's our reward? What? I mean, it sounds like a privilege, don't you think? Well, I mean, if you look at, read those bullet points, this is what they have to do for it. Well, so, but think about this real quick. So think about this. In a world where we have a right perspective, an eternal perspective... Wouldn't this be an awesome inheritance? Or are you jealous because, well, doesn't everybody get the Lord as their inheritance? And then they also got land? <laughs> Maybe that's the thought process. Well, because, you know, the Lord's going to reward them anyway. Well, that's the point, right? Because they do get land and houses, you know. But the thing is, they're to serve the people. That's their motive. And it's just like this couple that I had to do the funeral for, the memorial um, Jack and Ann Souther, you know, they serve people. They love people. They wanted to help people. Yeah, they did. They went out of their way, yep. you know, and um, that's hard to find nowadays. It is. To find people that will actually serve people. It yeah, well, doesn't I'll, matter who you are. Right. You come in their life. They want to serve you. They want to help you. They go out of their way. They gave Danielle and I free product. Yeah. Just different things, you know. They really stood out. Yeah. It's like when you left, you feel like, man, they really care about me. Yeah, no, they were good folks. I've had uh, many interactions with them, and not the least of which was one where 
um, my son was having like a, you know, like an anemic thing or low blood sugar or something like that. And they could, she just immediately spotted it. She says, oh, that's a viral. He's got a virus. And she told me the exact product I needed to go pick up at her store. I went and got it, you know, and boom, he was better. And so it was interesting, um, to say the least, you know, because she, she was it's it. on it, man. She was on it. All right. So, uh, the Levites were to stand and minister to the people in the name of the Lord. Wow. So they were officially appointed by God to minister in his name, in his authority. And it says the eight things, the fo- I'm sorry, the following eight things were considered as abominations to the Lord. It says one that makes his children pass through the fire, divinations, enchanters, witches, charmers, consulter of familiar spirits, wizards. <coughs> Man, wizards apparently made me sneeze. And necromancers. So basically what we're seeing here, Ryan, what we're seeing today is people would rather go into the occult than to clergy or to church staff or to pastors or elders or deacons or bishops because that's the, that's the, the, the struggle, you know. Yeah. And there's the counterfeit right there. there. It's called the occult. It's hidden. It's esoteric. It's a it's mystery. Yeah. And uh, within the occult, there's no atonement. Right. So, you know, people can say, hey, you know what? I don't need to ask for forgiveness for my sins. Right. Well, and I'm here... God and I can do what I want and... So there's where you see the Levites are to minister. Yeah. See, so, so Ryan, we're, we're up against the occult here. Oh, absolutely. I, every day. Every day. We've got to fight against it and say, why would you do that when you can have this? Acknowledge your sins. Come to the Redeemer, you know? So that's really what the battle is. And so everybody loves the occult. They love that. They love things moving and the supernatural, the paranormal. But they're not getting any atonement with that. You know what is interesting about this and this tour portion? Um, you know, social media, I mean, all over the place, whether it be this whole thing with Jeffrey Epstein or Ghislaine Maxwell, there's all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff going around as far as conspiracy theories about people, you know, sacrificing children and all this stuff. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, I don't know who or what or what's involved with any of that, but I can tell you that the Bible says that for thousands of years— people have been practicing that sort of thing in order to get in on some sort of an occult the fallen angels, ritual or magic. mankind. Exactly right. And, um, and so to think that it's not going on today, I think almost is naive because it says it right here in the scriptures that as in the days of Noah, so will be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. I believe we're in the last days. And so I believe that people, if they had ever stopped doing this, are definitely have restarted it today and are practicing the occult and doing things like that. I remember being in school and I, like Wicca and things would come up and people would, you know, when they, boards. right. Check out, you know, books from the library and they get into like goth and all this stuff. And, and then, uh, and then people, even as they're adults, um, you know, the, the occult in the military right now, I know that they, bec- I, th- I want to attribute it to the popular culture right now of all of the Marvel characters and DC comic characters like Thor and some of these, um, uh, you know, quasi uh, mythical creatures and things that are kind of becoming more popular again, that people are using that as kind of a, 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 a tipping point and then kind of going into the occult through that avenue. And so you got to be careful what you allow yourself to be, you know, um, exposed to what desensitizes you and all that, because it's, it's, it's pretty serious. It's not, it's not a joking matter. So um, we're going to read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. And here it says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall, or ye shall hearken. 
And then um, if we bump down to verse 18, it says here, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So it's a, it's a prophecy. It is absolutely a prophecy. From it's, among his own people. It's a prophecy because at the end of Deuteronomy, right, the, the words are that there will be no, there has not been and will not be a, a prophet like Moses, except for this one prophet, which will be greater than Moses, as the New Testament discusses about Yeshua. Um, but this is absolutely about Yeshua. Did you have something? Yeah, basically, um, the, the question is, who is the prophet that fulfilled this prophecy? And we have to say Yeshua is that prophet. And John the Baptist was referenced here uh, as, are you that prophet? It says in John one twenty one, And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. See, so they're looking for this guy. They're looking for him. And that's on John one twenty one. But he knows who it is. So in Acts, we go into Acts 3.22. Right out of the gate here. In Acts 3.22, For Moses truly said unto the fathers of prophets, Shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me? Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. This is the Apostle Peter. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Wow. Uh, Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. So once again, he is the prophet. He is that prophet. So we found Yeshua in the Torah portion. So, you know, there's a warning as well here um, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. And it's about false prophets. And we talked a little bit about this last week. But it says here in uh, chapter 18, verse 20, But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. Whoa! That's, that's serious. What are false prophets doing but leading people away from God? Absolutely. And leading people away from the one true prophet. Yeah. Well, Yeshua is a prophet, priest, and king. And David is a, a type of Messiah. Right. And he was the only king that was a prophet a priest and a king. Well, and that's why the prophet is, or the, I'm sorry, the Messiah, uh, another name for Messiah, son of David, um, which is obviously... David. Right, Ben David. All right, so here it says, uh, there were three cities of refuge on the west side of the Jordan, uh, and you could not live in a city of refuge if you were found guilty of murder. Now, I finally learned how to read my maps in my Bible to where I can't be bested by you anymore when you come at me with this question about which were... It was good. It was. It was good while it lasted, but I've got them. It was good. It's called summer school. I've got them. The west side of the Jordan, right, in the land of Israel, in the north, above the Sea of Galilee, we have Kadesh. Kadesh. That's right. In the middle of the country, um, right near um, where they come through in between Mount Abel and Mount Gerizim, we have Shechem. On the shoulders of, right. which is the modern-day country of Nablus today. That is correct. And in the south of Israel, not all the way to the tippy-tip tippy end, but in the south of Israel, kind of centrally located, uh, we have Hebron. 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 All right. So then uh, 
Over here in the east side of Jordan, just for extra credit, in the north we have Golan, right? We have Golan. And then we have Ramot, which is in the t this, uh, area of Gilead. And then in the south we have Bazer, which is, um, you know, in, like I said, in the south. So there you go. I've got them. I figured out how to read the key to my map. You, sh you too can be like me if you had a key on your map. This is true. <laughs> That's what I use. This <laughs> little square, little oh, yellow square. Mine's a map. square too. How what a coincidence! And I noticed. I'm like, check it out. It's already marked for you. <laughs> Who knew? It's like it's uh, geographically speaking. It's like it's in the Bible or something. All so, right, we're moving on. That's right. It does say that you could not live in a city of refuge if you were found guilty of murder. That's right. right. So the city of refuge was a refuge to those that were accused of murder, awaiting trial. And those that accidentally killed somebody, like a manslaughter situation. Right. And those in the manslaughter situation could remain there until the death of the high priest, if I remember correctly. But once the high priest died, they should be free to roam about the countryside. That's right. Um, all our right. high priest died for us, and so we get our inheritance. Man, see, the, Yeshua is in everything. He is. I mean, literally. He really is. And if he's not now, he will be later. <laughs> that's all i'm saying that's true who's this guy <laughs> um oh he's gone he's the author of the Torah. Yeah. no big deal yeah so what are you not to do in regard to your neighbor's landmark do not remove it mm. interesting have you ever been in a situation where you were tempted to move a boundary marker not really um kids place next door you know we we thought our boundary was more than what it is mm. they came in and put this big chain link fence up green chain link fence and so we didn't really dispute it but it was like inches from our fellowship hall yeah yeah, yeah that's right so anyway very interesting so it's interesting that you bring that up anybody i think that has been in a situation where they had to build a fence those people know the thought process you go through about like eh, if i could just put it just you know just a little bit further than i could you know and I have, I have been in that position. I have been in that situation building fences. And um, it does, man. you got to go through that process of, man, i got to make sure I'm above reproach. Let me put it all the way inside the boundary line, right? If I'm building the fence, then it's me who needs to put it inside my boundary line. If I put it on the boundary line, right, then I'm technically taking up inches or so of their boundary. I forget what they call it. It's not the DMZ. It's not the... Variance? A variance or something. Yeah. Yeah. Setback? I think it's, yeah, for, for, for both parties. Right. Right. There's got to be something. There's, you know, you can't just um, go in willy-nilly putting down uh, fences. But as we mentioned yesterday, fences make good neighbors. Did you know that? I think fences make great neighbors. And uh, there's a little thing right now, especially with the coronavirus going around, that's a little parody of the State Farm ad. Um, it's like a good neighbor. Stay over there. <laughs> That is a good idea. <laughs> well, it is what it is, you know. Um, all right, so how many witnesses were needed to establish a matter? Two or three. Two or three witnesses. So remember, they couldn't get any witnesses against Yeshua. They couldn't get their story straight, and it was a mess. Well, they did. They just got false witnesses. They got yeah, people it was, to lie. It, was just, it wasn't good. Which is... It was a faulty trial. Yeah, not a good idea to be... I mean, could you imagine... It's one thing to be a false witness, right? I mean, that's that's against the commandments, but could you imagine being the false witness against the Messiah? 
I mean, the Son of God. We uh, we won't see those people. Yeah, that's rough. We won't we won't meet them. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, I'm just I'm not saying there's some people you're just not gonna meet, Ryan. Maybe Sorry. later in their life they repented. You're not gonna meet them <laughs> unless you go south. <laughs> not gonna do it. <laughs> not gonna do it. You know, um, uh, two two or three witnesses. You know what else was mentioned about two or three witnesses? Heaven and earth are witnesses against us, right? Um, about keeping the commandments of God. Uh, Moses says that heaven and earth, he's calling heaven and earth to be witnesses against the children of Israel, which is interesting because at some point there will be a new heaven and a new earth. All things will be made new. And then, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't think the new heaven and the new earth have, were witness to any of the bad things that I did. You know, I think it's only the old, <laughs> old heaven and the old earth. Okay, Ryan. I'm just saying, you know, all right, whatever, you know. All right, so we're moving on to chapter 20, how to wage war. Oh, boy, here we go. We wage the war. Now's your time. (laughs) So who was to come out to the children of Israel and encourage them before they went to battle? The priest. Mm. You know, I think I find this very interesting because, um, you know, when I think about the priests, right, I think we all have a colloquial idea in our heads of what it would mean for a priest to come out and, and give you a, you know, a good pep rally or whatever. And I just, it just kind of makes me chuckle a little bit. It makes me the giggle that the priest would come out and, and, and get you ready to go, you know, but I'll tell you what, in the paradigm that they live in, in this day and age that they're in, uh, the priests would literally be the determining factor of whether or not they had victory or not. The, the Lord himself would give them victory or not. He would go before them, and their enemies would flee, right? They, I mean, they witnessed— They had to have the priests carrying the ark. And, and the— so They had to go into battle. Exactly right. Awesome stuff, if you ask me, man. I think that is just, like, way, way too cool. So the following four circumstances would— exempt someone from going to battle. So um, as we know from the book of Numbers, there's you know, just over 600,000 men that were able to go to war, but there were some exemptions for those that um, were in one of these four circumstances. The first one is a man who has built a new house and not lived in it. Um, so if you were um, in a situation where you just built your house and Israel's going to war, you were exempt from having to go. Number two was a man who has planted a vineyard and not eaten of it. Now, when I think about this one, this one here, you could get years out of, of exemption out of it. At least you can't, three. Yeah, at least three, because you can't... Well, even then, the fourth year, you give that up as an offering. It's the fifth year that you get to partake, if I'm right, um, if I remember it correctly. Now, number three is a man who is betrothed to a wife and not yet married. Um, obviously... We wouldn't want him to be betrothed, have the responsibility put upon him that he has promised to go and prepare a place for her and provision for her, and then abandon that responsibility uh, and go off to war. And then uh, number four was a man who is fearful and faint-hearted. Now, um, obviously, if I were going to war, I would want these people to go ahead and check out and stay home as well, you know, because you need people with you that you can count on, not people that are going to you know, turn and run or, or whatever when the going gets tough. Because you know what they say, when the t- going gets tough, the tough get going. <laughs> Pastor Nick's kind of leaving me hanging here today, I tell you. I'm working on some stuff. I know. Physically. I know. It's, it's, we've got a low-pressure system going through here. I think there's some headaches but, going around. Um, 
It's all good. It's all good. Praise God. God is good. Praise God. You got to press in. That's right. So were the children of Israel to besiege a city without first offering it a peaceful surrender? No. No, that is correct. They offer them. So this is a, an interesting little predicament. So if you think of, I think the example we were talking about last night was Og of Bashan, right? That they would say, hey, we want to go by. And they're like, mm, nope. And then what do they do? I don't think they knew what they were getting into. No, no, I don't think so either. I mean, I don't know what the population was over there on the north side of the Galilee, but you're talking about 600,000 men. Yeah. Plus women and children. That's an army. Yeah, no, they, they ain't playing. So if the children of Israel attacked a city, all the males would die if they did not surrender peacefully. So this was kind of the, um, the SOP manual, right? You go in, you kill all the males. Um, the, it also says here that the children of Israel had to completely destroy the following six people groups. And I believe that these are the six people groups that the Lord had pre-decided that their iniquity was the, one of the main reasons that the children That's of Israel right. were to you go gotta into the land. You've got to come to the promised land and get these evil people out. That's right, because this is God's land, and these people are squatters. So this is the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Um, they left out the termites, as you guys mentioned. No, that's right. Yeah, forgot termites on the list. But um, termites can be destroyed nonetheless. All right, so when God's people went against a city, what should they do with the fruit trees? Don't destroy them. They're for food. Don't destroy them. Keep the fruit trees. That's right, especially during the Daniel fast. <laughs> especially during the Daniel fast. Fruits come in handy. Um, you know, we've got, um, some fruits, flakes, and nuts as well, you know. Nice bowl of cereal. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm the banana. <laughs> a banana republic. Oh, goodness gracious. That was the latest term. <laughs> it's a banana republic. Yeah, uh, well. Oh, no. You know. What are you going to do? So, um, we're moving on now to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. And this is the expiation of innocent blood. Expiation of innocent blood. Not good, folks. Spilling innocent blood is not a good thing. And so here's the big question. Was there a way to investigate the murder of a slain person found in a field? The answer is yes. Absolutely, there was a way to, to um, investigate this crime. What would happen is they would have three groups of people that would come together from the, uh, the towns nearest the place where the person was found, and the elders, the judges, and the priests would get together to absolve the crime and investigate it. Um, you know, just like today, this, there's got to be some sort of an investigation um, when you come across a dead body. A lot of times when somebody's going to kill somebody, they're not just going to kill them in the town square for everybody to see so we can have the who done it be an easy question. Um, in this case, you know, there's not cameras or anything like that. So finding who killed somebody can be a, a difficult task. And so what would happen is the the innocent blood would bring, um, you know, almost a curse on the land. And so the people that were closest to it would come together to absolve this crime um, by taking responsibility for it almost themselves. And so what they would do is they'd take a heifer um, and they would use this as part of the process to absolve the crime of a slain person. The closest, uh, the closest city to the slain body was responsible for absolving the crime of a slain person that was found in the field. Um, and so, like I mentioned, you'd have the three closest towns and they'd figure out which one was closest by measuring or whatever, whoever was closest, that was the one that was, uh, responsible and the process to absolve the crime, 
of shedding innocent blood was used to remove guilt. And so this was a way that the people that were not involved were able to absolve themselves of the crime, um, you know, and of the blood of this slain person because they took it seriously. And so um, with that being said, that comes to a conclusion of the Torah portion itself. And so now we're moving on to what two lessons can be learned from the Torah portion shof team or judges from a consensus of the group. Now, we didn't split up into groups last night, but we did have some good answers. Um, the one thing that I came up with for me personally, I had a big one that I thought about because it seemed like it's a theme running through the whole Torah, but especially this Torah portion, and that's boundaries. Um, we start off in this Torah portion talking about the legal system. And when you think about it, laws exist to create limits and boundaries. Um, you know, I think the assumption should be that everybody has the freedom and liberty to do as they please, except, right? And then that's where we come up with laws and legal systems. Um, and then I think the same thing would go for the statement, everyone has the right to not do, you know, anything except and then add things that were kind of affirmative commands excuse me that you'd be required to do and so um you know it's interesting with the legal system and not taking bribes that being a boundary idolatry um you know and, and not being uh not passing you know crossing that line um you know the what was given to the priests and the levites and now there'd be a prophet to be brought not moving the literal boundary markers um for people um, but I think that boundaries are healthy. People, um, you know, capitalism, right? We live in a capitalist society here in America. People are free to do transactions with each other, to start businesses, to, you know, have a, a risk-reward scenario where the bigger the risk, the possible bigger loss, but also the possible bigger reward that we can, um, that we can you know, use the quote-unquote sweat on our brow to work harder and, and earn more. Um, but just as we mentioned, what is the reason why people take bribes? Well, what is the reason that people go out of their way to, um, unfairly compete within a marketplace? It's greed. And so there has to be boundaries on greed. There has to be regulations, uh, to capitalism, laissez-faire, uh, markets don't work, um, because eventually somebody becomes too big, uh, and the competition no longer exists. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's my number one. Thing. I would also put um, my second one was the value of life. Um, you know, there's a whole process for absolving, um, you know, yourself of, of the crime of shedding innocent blood, even if you weren't involved with it. God takes, um, you know, people's lives seriously, especially those people that were innocent in any given situation. And so we just praise God for that. And what an awesome tour portion. So as a reminder, um, you know, if you guys need resources coming up for, uh, Teshuvah starting on uh, August 20th in the evening. Um, you know, we have the spiritual journal that begins for that day, uh, going all the way through Elul, the month of Elul, and then the first 10 days of Tishri, all the way up to the Feast of Yom Kippur. Um, and if you want us to send you those journals, you can email me at ryan at twopraise.net. Or if you want to send us an email with questions or anything like that, send us your testimony, send us, you know, information, who are you, where are you from, all that kind of stuff. It was very nice hearing from folks, even if you're all the way out in Washington state and we're in Florida. Um, you know, there's even been people that have written us from, you know, Norway, 
um, in other places around the world. We see people listening in Russia. We see people listening in France. We see people listening um, in parts of Africa. We even see people listening in the Middle East. So um, it's awesome for us to hear from you guys. Uh, Ryan, R-Y-A-N, at twopraise.net. Ryan at twopraise.net. Um, if you want to live stream our services, you can go to twopraise.net and go to the you know watch live tab, or you can go to our social media platforms on YouTube, um, you know Facebook, Instagram, and the like. So uh, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>